0: Well, good morning, good morning. We're uh, we're going gonna, gonna, to... Paul, why don't you come up here real quick? Chris, uh, any other uh, elders who might be here? If you would, Steve, would you come up for a second? Uh, yeah, come on up, Mike. I didn't see you there. Uh, I just want us to stand in unity. Many of you know what's going on in Israel. You've probably read the reports. Uh, the, a, a lot of these things happen in places and nations where we just... Well, where we're not personally connected, you know, and so I've been back and forth with um, Well, many of you know, I serve on the board. We have Jews and Arabs uh, on our staff, uh, native Israelis on our staff, uh, Jesus followers, largest seminary in the Middle East. Anyway, Dr. Seraf, we've been going back and forth. We usually try to pray together. It's early for them in the morning on Thursdays, and uh, the dean of students as well. Just brutal. You know, his people at the seminary, are, you know, they're young people called to battle evil and and this is not a geopolitical statement This evil i read this morning where there was as many of you know there was a festival which was going on a music festival when she was a german citizen and um, they stripped her and killed her and paraded around and you know god is great and that's many people see that and they see this is religion see what religion does to humanity uh, that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not the spirit of Jesus. That's, that's, um, we're a million miles from that. So um, I just told them we'd pray. Well, would you grab that uh, microphone? Somebody just... Or... I just told them we'd pray for them today. So um, Steve, why don't you just pray, and want a couple of you pray, and I'll close if you don't mind. Father, we just, uh, we, we bow the knee today to you and who you are, your love for the world. Uh, Lord, we lift up Israel to you. Uh, we pray for those people. Lord, not only something great would come out of something so horrible, but Lord, we would see this as a a spark, a movement uh, in that great country lord that the lord jesus would be revealed in a new and supernatural way to those folks father and i echo that as well that you are a sovereign you are a loving god <clears throat> and that in all things your hand is in it we just trust the guidance of your spirit father but we pour our hearts into a people who are at the moment you know, shattered by the evil and violence um, Father, we just pray for your mercy to begin to spill into this. We understand that you will bring it together, that your name will be glorified, but it's tough in the moment for people grieving. So Father, give us the faith and the strength. Help us to share that with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this land. Uh, Jesus, you are the hope of the world. And without you, there is no hope. May the love of our Father in heaven and through those who represent your son there in Israel, may the light shine from them. May they give them the power and the courage and the strength to bring comfort comfort to those who are suffering, to come alongside those who are, are weeping to weep with them and walk them through this time together. So, Father, we know that everything is in your hands. But please hear our plea for mercy and reconciliation in that country. Yes, Lord. And we echo the psalmist who simply said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we know that you're the only peace there is. Uh, That's why we're so invested in the Middle East. We want the only hope for the Middle East and these long-held tensions all the way back to uh, Ishmael and Isaac. I mean, really. Lord, the only way to overcome this is through the gospel, through the message of Jesus. There's no political solution. I'm convinced there's not a political solution. There's only a spiritual solution. So we pray, Lord, that you would undergird uh, what we believe is a strong spiritual solution, the advancement of the gospel in the Middle East, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. So, there are many places I would go with what's going on in the Middle East, and there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but if you read my missive, I said, I will resign if I do not finish Zacchaeus. (laughs) And some people say, how can you turn Zacchaeus into four weeks? And I said, because I had to pare it down from eight weeks. That's how I do it in four weeks. Uh, A few simple statements. Uh, Most anybody who's ever read the Bible has read the story of Zacchaeus. We've... Read and reread it over over a three-week period of time, although it's been interspersed over the last number of weeks. And here's a here's a guy who was the worst. Here's a guy who climbed a sycamore tree, in an act of real act of humility, and uh, just wanted to see. And we're not told his motives. We don't know exactly, but something motivated him to want to get a glimpse of Jesus. It's an act of childlikeness we looked at last week, and it really is, it's a childlike behavior to climb a sycamore tree, looking to try to see. Uh, You know, that's really what we try to do here every single Sunday. Uh, You can think of coming to Church of the Red Door as climbing a tree, you're trying to get a little bit better glimpse of who Jesus, not only was, but who he is and who he will be Uh, He is not dead. He is resurrected, and he has a plan for you, not any different than he had for Zacchaeus. You know, I'm fascinated with the stories. Uh, It's easy to get into the heady knowledge of a book like Romans, where you get into these theological, you know, this treatise on theological, uh, high-elevated ivory tower kind of things, and it's easy for me to just kind of get lost in that and there's nothing wrong with that that's an important part of the totality of the gospel but what's equally as fascinating to me is that god dealt with men and women throughout human history and we have it chronicle just a few years of three and a half year ministry in his engagement with actual people he actually walked you know i've seen more people come to know jesus by taking them to israel or take massive steps simply by being in a place where like, oh, he actually stood here. This is not some highfalutin, strange dogma from by, you know years gone by of some visions that somebody had in a cave or something. This is the fulfillment of everything the prophets had seen, and he actually walked and lived this out right here. Even though it's 2,000 years ago, I I, I know that just being in the Magdala, where Magdala is, there is a, now a first century synagogue, remains that they have begun to unearth, and it's profound because many of the synagogues you go to, you can see some old ancient ones, were probably oftentimes the one in Capernaum as an example, two or three hundred years after the time of Jesus. Jesus most probably would have been standing on those very tiles. I mean, because this was a first-century synagogue, and uh, well, know Mary Magdalene. It's a, it's an awesome thing to think about that God. I mean, that's what we're believing here today as a church that God would take on human flesh and come down and just enter right into the flow of humanity, not just living at the Waldorf Astoria and making statements and coming out. You know, on a little veranda and making some you know pronouncements uh, uh, over over the people uh, carried live. I mean, two thousand years ago, there was no there was there wasn't an iPhone around to be had. And here he came, and he just began to have these engagements with specific people. Those are precious to me. I'm fascinated with specific looks into characters in the Bible that Jesus came into contact with. And that's why it's almost an inexhaustible place to go when you look at someone like Zacchaeus. Much of this is reading between the lines and asking questions. And my question to you will be this morning, had God been doing work in Zacchaeus' life before this? And as we looked at a number of weeks back, you do remember that his name meant purity. Purity. Zacchaeus means purity, and He was anything but pure. God was already engaged in His life before He was even born. That is fascinating to me. And it's instructive to me, and it's encouraging to me. When I am flipping out and being weird and and in a dark place in my own head, I'm like, God is the one who's orchestrating my salvation. And yes, I'm engaged, and yes, I make decisions, and I, can, I, I make good decisions, and I see fruit from it, and I make bad decisions, and I see, you know, chaos and stuff come into my life. I, I see all that happening. I know there's a spiritual world going on there, but I, I just recognize in the end the thing that is, allows me to close my eyes at night and actually go to sleep is the fact that God knew me. Even before I was born, He is orchestrating my salvation. Yes, I partner with Him, but in the end, He's doing the great, the great work in my life. Otherwise, why would He have been named Purity? It's a million miles from being pure. Hebrews chapter 4. We've got to recognize, and this is kind of where we finished last week, that God both saw in Jericho, Bartimaeus, the lowest of the lowest of the lows. Someone who had no leverage, someone who had no position, someone who had no clout, someone who had no connections. He had nothing, nothing, a blind beggar. It couldn't get any worse than that. And Jesus saw him. And then equally, Jesus looked up into a sycamore tree and saw a very powerful, in terms of finances, a very powerful, though despised person within the Jewish community, he saw them both. That's fascinating to me. Paul wrote to the Jewish believing community, our letter to the Hebrews, there is no creature that's hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God knows the intricate details of everything? I taught, I've done ministry among men and women, but primarily men over the last 25 years, certainly during the week, and uh, it constantly amazes me, well, I don't want to talk to God about that. He's not interested in that. He's got way too much to do. I'm like, do you realize that God is omniscient? He's omnipotent. He even stayed at the Omni Hotel. I mean, I'm just telling you, God is all the Omnis put together. He knows it all. He created it all. Nothing escapes His gaze. He sees you as you are in your distress, in your discouragement, in your depression, and in your celebration, in your moments of, well, you know, earthly triumph. He sees it all. He sees the the good parts of you, and he sees the he sees the well, the challenging parts that he wants to do a great surgery with as you continue to climb the tree to see him in a more perfect light. Psalm 139, uh, we've alluded to this over and over and over. It's one of the things that keeps me going. Uh, oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know me when I sit down. And when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path. And my lying down, you're intimately acquainted with everything that I do. All my ways, intimately acquainted. I don't know if you can really wrap your head around that. You are not just know the facts like you've been given, you know, you had, he has his aides come in in the morning and Jesus is in the great white house in the sky and he's given a little brief report about all of humanity. It's not that. He's intimate with this. He is intimate with your ways. He knows. He scrutinizes that. Is that crazy talk? That's God talk. It's crazy to imagine that I could do that or, you, or, or anybody, any created being that's finite. But it's not impossible to imagine that God in His infinite nature, He can do this. This is what He does. He knows who you are. He knows what you're struggling with. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. Not only can He see your path and scrutinize your ways... He actually knows what's in your heart. Why hide? Why run? It was the silliest thing that ever happened, Adam and Eve running and hiding from God. After having eaten of the tree that he told them not to eat from, they ran and hid themselves in the bushes as if that was going to somehow escape the gaze of their creator. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. One of the indictments of the, of the wicked was that they say, no one sees us. God doesn't see us. And they continue in their evil ways. Oh, he sees you. That's both terrifying and encouraging, depending on how I feel like I'm doing that day, right? Sometimes I feel terrified by that. And sometimes I feel like, oh, Lord, he, he understands. But even beyond that, he knows everything that's in my heart and yours. You've enclosed me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, well, it's just too wonderful for me. It's too high. I simply cannot attain to that knowledge. And I echo the psalmist here. I do not comprehend how that is possible for all of humanity. But I believe it. And I have experienced his knowledge of me in my conversations with him. Oh, you knew that? It's almost as if I'm having this dialogue and I'm like, oh yeah, you know that. Oh yeah, you know that. It's a powerful thought. The question here was Zacchaeus, was God dealing with Zacchaeus before he climbed the tree? And if so, how? What would that have looked like was Zacchaeus running from something he knew God wanted him to do? Was it, or was he just hardened? We looked at last week, evidently he wasn't hardened beyond the point of reconciliation. Something was going on in the heart of Zacchaeus to even provoke him to want to climb the tree. I think there will be many. People are beginning, they'll start to get come back here, you know, into this month and November and then you know, we'll, we'll see people continue to stream in. Maybe you're watching on television or online or something. People are clamoring up trees to try to get a picture of the real Jesus. And that's why Paul was so aggressive when they were painting a different picture of Jesus. He said, you guys are accursed. You're creating a different Jesus. You're preaching a different Jesus. We have to give them a clear picture through the word, which is why it's maybe for some tedious. It's not a tightly packed little 20-minute homily. We try to dig into the words so that people can see a clear picture of who Jesus is in their lives. Zacchaeus obviously was extreme. We've looked at this. Uh, Psalm Chapter 9, just 1 and 2, talk about extreme behavior, giving all his stuff away, becoming destitute simply because Jesus came into his house and noticed him. It was an amazing reaction. Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. I will tell of your wonders. I'll be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. It was this attitude that was in Zacchaeus. Somehow he intuitively, instantly knew. He counted the costs. he knew what he was getting himself into, and he jumped right in. Of course, my big question and the question I've been thinking about all week, even for multiple weeks, I wonder what Zacchaeus' life looked like beyond that. I'm sure Satan came down and all his little pitchfork activity and came in there and said, what have you done? What have you done? Are you crazy following? I mean, you could still follow him, man. If you want to follow him, fine, but, you know, you'd still have your money here. I mean, why'd you have to give all? Are you crazy? You don't think that thought? I guarantee you. I know Satan. I'm not ignorant of his schemes. Paul said, don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. He'd come in, and many of you may be there right now, even in the context. Maybe you started following Jesus like, what have you done? What are you doing? It was a wholeheartedness that Zacchaeus had. A passionate, all-in abandonment to the king. There's no more abandonment than saying, well, the exact opposite of the rich young ruler. Both were presented, and yet he didn't even ask Zacchaeus. Give everything you have away to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that. And Zacchaeus is not even asked, probably, and maybe even equally as wealthy as this young ruler and he just intuitively instantly abandoned his whole former life and bought into it a, a completely unknown realm because he was convinced that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. You know, we get that with Isaiah too. Isaiah's is even so if you look back at these studies of individuals, Isaiah is always a place where I like to think about. I'm doing a deep dive into Jeremiah. We, we may go into that at one point really spending time in these old prophets because they fascinate me. I'm like, boy, I wish I had more of the qualities of an Isaiah or more of the, could I have the kind of courage that Jeremiah had? I mean, you know, he was thrown down a cistern and put in a muddy nothing to die. And he just kept saying, you know, just kept hanging in there. Decade after decade, after wicked king, after absurd leader, after nasty guy that, you know, wouldn't stand up and be a moral guy and threw him in just doing his job just Mr. Moderate Man, he encountered all this buffoonery of his own people and he just kept stable all the way to the end. I was reading something and I don't know how you they chronicle this but somebody suggested, it was a fairly well-known guy's only reason I'm repeating it, is that he estimates that only about 2% of pastors are actually fulfill their call till the very end. I'm not talking about don't have a long ministry. I'm talking, and I'm not talking about going to hell and falling and all I'm just talking about to be able to walk out the totality of what God's called them to do. I don't know if that even remotely is representative, but even if it's half, you know, and I do feel the pressure. And so I'm fascinated with like, hang in there, be passionate. But I will tell you this, every time I see somebody who is massively moving in the direction of the kingdom, The beginning is an utter passionate abandonment of their old life. Now, it's a long slog to get all the way to the end and to to run through the tape. And you're going to have everything in the world thrown at you. And some of you may be having stuff thrown at you right now. And you're just like, I don't know if I can make this through. And then you still hear that whisper, what have you done? done. God's abandoned you. He's not there. He doesn't care about you anymore. And if he did, he should show up. How could he allow that to happen? And you're someone who did abandon yourself to him maybe 10 years or 20 years or 30 or 50 years ago, or even last week, and you're already feeling that. Well, I wonder if he's still, I wonder if all this is true, given what I'm going through. I wonder what that looked like for Zacchaeus. All I know is this, he had a great start. It was, in, it was indicative of something in my mind of what God had already been doing. I bet you, I'll bet you that he made it to the end. I can't wait to ask Zacchaeus, well, what did it look like after you got back and you gave all your stuff away? Where'd you go? What did you do? What did that look like? What did the rest of the story, Paul Harvey What did the rest of the story look like? I'm just asking, Zacchaeus, and I'm sure he'll have a tale, and it might take multiple cappuccinos to get through it. (laughs) But he can probably do his life quicker in retelling it to me than I can talk about him. So Isaiah had a vision uh, in the year of King Uzziah, Isaiah 6, verse 1, of his death. I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah's moment, right, sitting on the throne, lofty, exalted, The train of his robe filling the temple. This is a massive, incredible, terrifying vision that he's having. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. And two he covered his face. And two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Just try to put yourself in this situation. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. And the temple was filling with smoke. And of course, the response of Isaiah is an appropriate one. And it was exactly what Zacchaeus demonstrated. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Even though he may not have said that, he knew he was ruined. He was anything but his name. He was anything but pure. He was impure. His whole life was built upon greed and uh, turning on his own people. And manipulative and lying. He was a, well, he was a Cretan. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, Lord of hosts. Notice when Isaiah, this was Isaiah's climb the tree moment. Are you with me? It's a vision for him. He's in the the midst of the temple. I don't know if he's literally, or this is just a vision, or something's going on. Like Paul said, I don't even know if I was in my body or out of my body. I was taken to the third heaven. I, I don't know. I just had this moment. And so this is Isaiah getting a glimpse of the creator of the universe, and he is completely and utterly undone. I know that happened to Zacchaeus. There's no way he responds like he did without that kind of a vision. You need a clear picture of who Jesus is. You need it. If you don't have it, you'll never follow him fully. You have to get a clear picture of who he is. One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand and taking it from the altar with tongs and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, he has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. This is a clear picture of what will happen on that cross. Oh yeah, it would be a fiery tongue in the form of a cross. And it's a picture of God himself doing the work to take away the sins. In this case, he knew what was in his heart was reflected by what was coming out of his mouth. And he lived among a people with unclean lips. And by saying, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's saying, I have a heart problem. And yet God... Right here is a prefiguring of the cross that would happen some 700 years later. But then here's the moment. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Again, by the way, sidebar, there's a picture of the Trinity right there for us. Again, this is this plurality of the Godhead. Who will, who will we send? Who's, who are we going to send? And then Isaiah simply says, here I am, send me. That, my friends, was the spirit of Zacchaeus. He didn't use that exact word; those exact words. See, we're going to get to the end of the story today, and I promise you we're going to get to the end of the story, and the question's going to be, is that how you get saved, to give away all your stuff and become destitute? No, having this encounter with a risen Jesus uh, for us now, for Zacchaeus, he was yet to go to the cross, but for us to have a an encounter with a risen Jesus and to have a heart that goes, I am a sinner, I have a heart problem, and I am ready to go anywhere, anytime, and follow you wherever you go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. If you want to follow in the footsteps of the heart of Zacchaeus, not the specifics because everybody's story is so different. I have talked to I don't know, probably thousands of people about their own coming to Jesus moment, their own tree climbing moment, and they're all different. Every single one of them are different, and it's powerful. I've had, I, I, I've had people that have felt like the ground was shaking under their feet, and they were trying to felt like they were in an earthquake and have a vision of Jesus. Uh, I have another someone, you know. And I, I, we could just start lining people up, and when was that moment for you? And if you haven't had that moment, get that moment. Keep climbing the tree until you get a clear enough picture of who Jesus is. Jesus did not want you to adopt a new religion. He wanted you to enter into a redemptive relationship that he himself would pay the price for. Please understand that. Please get that. Religion is can, and can be wicked. I cannot imagine what was that what was going on in the in the minds of those men who would strip a a young 20 something year old woman and and they said that they were she was sitting on her body in the back of a pickup truck as they ran through the streets of israel crying Allah Akbar this is not about arab versus jew this is about religion versus relationship this is about religion versus a new heart that's what that's about it's devastating to see But until we recognize that we're ruined, and we need help, and we have an abandonment to the creator of our souls, Jesus, our life will just stay the same. It won't change. You can go to church all you want. You can get involved in any crusade you want, any social event you want, any social justice cause. You can do anything you want. But until you have a new heart, an abandoned heart becomes a new heart. You have to abandon. You got to cut the old ways. There is no other way. There's no other way, and that's why I believe Jesus was very clear today. Salvation has come to this house because He could see the abandonment, the total abandonment that Zacchaeus took to say, "I'm a," he just he just did an Isaiah thing, without in a different way. I'm ruined. Redemption. I'm with Jesus. He's abiding with me. And then what? Well, I think, I think if we were to read the next story of Zacchaeus' life, he would be like, okay, what do you want me to do now? Send me. Send me. Have you had that encounter yourself? I'm asking the question. Don't be surprised that everybody grumbled. Immediately everybody was complaining and and the religious elite were grumbling because he doesn't deserve that and Zacchaeus and why is he hanging out? He's the worst of the worst and they were right. He was the worst of the worst. But he was open and that's why Jesus said it's people like Zacchaeus that will enter the kingdom before you religious because you don't realize that you too have a heart problem. So the grumbling began. There's just no way to marry a childlike faith. There's no way to marry a childlike faith that Zacchaeus had without some kind of corresponding action. The actions are different. Sometimes it's someone comes to Christ and the first thing they do is they want to make their relationships right. So it's amazing. I've watched it all. Sometimes people just give money away. Sometimes people just you know, quit a job and move somewhere. Sometimes I've seen all kinds of things. They're always radical. It's, there, there can't be a, a, just a moderate shift. It cannot be moderate. Melville, when he wrote his novel, uh, The Confidence Man, he talked about the, that this man, this moderate man, can be used for evil but can never be used for good. The moderate man cannot There's only one place. That's why Jesus over and over said, I'd rather you be hot or or cold, but don't be moderate. Don't be somewhere in the middle. Be a Zacchaeus. Have that heart. Now, how it plays out in your life, that's between you and God. But the reaction is the same. When I see people that have not become moderate men men, and moderate women, practical and moderate... There's no moderation in the kingdom. It's like, I'm just all in. That's why I love Zacchaeus. People get confused because they think that's what saved him. No, it was just a reflection of the salvation that had already happened. And it was beautiful. I'm going to go ahead and skip to the end so that I don't have to resign. (laughs) It was this very purpose and we're closing with this. It was this very purpose that Jesus came to earth. To have these Zacchaeus encounters, but not just with Zacchaeus. He had an encounter with me. And how did it play out in my life? I just I had I was a I was a reckless guy a little bit, you know? But I immediately, I knew nothing, but I was going to Rice University at the time down in Houston. I was on the campus, and we did all kinds of things. We, we, had, held, we had whole conferences. I became the president of a, of a little campus ministry, and I was as ill-equipped as anybody in the, in the Christian faith has been for 2,000 years to do anything like that. But we would do these things, and we had all kinds of... We had the, the different communities come out and yell and scream and throw things and bring coolers in and drink and drink and drink right in the middle of our you know conferences and things like that. And and it didn't bother me at all. I was just ready to give it all up. I, was try, I tried to give my car away. I tried to... I had guys on the golf team that I used to fight with, fist fight kind of stuff with these guys and this and that. And then I'd go in and pray for them. If that one guy was in the hospital and he told me I was an idiot for doing that. I mean, I was just ready to roll. And a lot of it was silliness. A lot of it was, but it was a reflection. It was a reflection of the radical thing that had actually happened. I got a view of Jesus. I got a view of my own depravity. And all of a sudden it just, it was a combustible event. And then I just like, I just have to give it all to him. And I did what I thought was the right thing to do, which looking back, I was like, that could have been done with a little bit more grace and dignity. However, I don't regret the passion. I do not regret the passion, right? And I still have quite a bit of that. But that's why Jesus came to earth. Why? And this is the close with Zacchaeus. If we go to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read verse 1 and then 19 through 21. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's why I played that second song, You're No Longer a Slave. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, many of you have to look at Zacchaeus and say, was that really freedom? I mean, now it feels like he's going to be a slave to his future and not have any money and not have any options and all that. I mean, I don't know that that's freedom. Is that freedom? It sounds like he's a pauper now. I mean, what's going on here? It says, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Oh, oh, trust me. The freedom would come in the form of a new heart and an increasingly light-filled soul. His relationships would have been sweeter. His, yeah, he would have had his struggles, but trust me, everything, the, the, the bonds of sin had been cut. It was the very purpose for which Jesus came. And then it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and I'm not going to list them all, but it starts out with immorality, impurity, and then it goes on sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Wait a minute, purity? The deeds of the flesh are impurity? He was impure. He was set free into his destiny, which was given him before he was born. Think about that. God, and we don't understand that as much. I mean, I don't know that we really name our kids that way anymore. I know some people do. Um, I just found out my, my, I have a second grandson on the way here shortly. Uh, within the next three weeks, and I found his name was Parker. I don't know what that's Hebrew for. (laughs) And Emerson was before that. I I don't know what all that is. But back then, names were everything. It encompassed the destiny that God had called you into. And and it's just a powerful thing. Zacchaeus in that moment was set free from impurity to be what? To walk into his very name that was given him before the foundations, which was, again, Purity—that's powerful to me. First John chapter three verse eight, and here we close. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So, in summation, what are we doing here? Where, what is the what is the story? What are, what are our takeaways? What are my takeaways? And I hope then ours collectively as a church. What are our takeaways from this story of Zacchaeus? What are our takeaways? First of all, there was an incredible amount of humility uh, in him being willing to climb up a tree like a child. There obviously was, there were things that were going on in his heart already. Otherwise, he had just stayed in his little tax collecting office and maybe even tried to sell some things along the road or uh, hunt some people down, you know, that were escaping taxes when they came out of hiding to see this Jesus person walking by. I mean... The attitudes of the heart are reflected in our actions. Faith without works is truly dead. He had something going on in his heart, and his reaction was profound. In fact, I would call it reckless. It was overt. It was passionate. It was, well, (laughs) he potentially resigned himself to having a life quite different than the life he was lived. In just a moment's time, he'd committed to giving half of it away and repaying all the people back that he'd stolen from. I can only imagine that would have left him with nothing. He abandoned himself to the creator of his soul. Why? Because he finally saw Jesus. He didn't see religion, he didn't see, you know, religious practice. He just got a glimpse of Jesus. So, my question to you this morning is. Have you ever truly had a picture of Jesus? If you say, wonderful teacher, wonderful, then you're still not getting it. You you need to have an Isaiah moment where you recognize that it's not just a guy who was born in a manger, that that you need to see the the revelation picture of Jesus. Eyes flaming, sword coming out of his mouth, hair as white as snow all knee, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing. That is just as much Jesus as the guy who was down on his knees washing the feet of fishermen and tax collectors. It's both. And some people have just the picture of the future, you know, dominating all power and dominion and that figure. And it feels too distant. It feels too out there. Like, I believe in him, and I, I believe that, they, he, that he has all power and authority, and you believe that, but not enough to enter into a daily relational thing, because who can do that? Who, how can you have a personal relationship with, you know, sword coming out of hair and white horse and all this? And um, I just I couldn't do that. I'd be on my face all the time. Jesus is the one who said for us to call God our dad, Abba, Daddy. How relational is that? Have you ever just talked to? Him? Have you ever just talked to God, or do you always feel like you have to make it some? Do you you know, whither thou whitherest thou desireth that I you know? And you're sitting there looking at your watch. Talk to Him. Jesus made it possible. He wants to abide with you. He wants to come into your house just like he did with Zacchaeus. Come down from that tree for a minute. I want. Uh, today we're going to have a little meal together. I'm going to abide with you. I'm going I'm to hang out with you. Somehow we have to hold those two pictures of Jesus and we have to, and they're hard. Conquering all dominion, all authority. The Ancient of Days gives him all authority. You read it in Daniel. The prophet Daniel. Meek, mild, take up my yoke upon you, for I am humble and meek. And, and, and Which is it? It's both. Relationally, if I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus, I was having that conversation on the way here today. I'm like, Lord, I don't I don't know why you want to use me as a servant. I'm just I'm just like I'm I'm ill-equipped for this. I you know what? Uh, what do you want with all this and this church bill? I just I have a dialogue with that. If I only envision Jesus as being somebody that was like Megatron or some of these cartoons I can't see the kids and just you know. Just and he is, he's got all authority, he can one word the whole The whole universe could be reconstructed at one word. But he's still meek and small. He took on the form of a bond slave. The great descent. He's both. He's that guy to those... He's the Megatron guy to those who reject him. That's all they'll ever see of Jesus. Do you understand that? The only thing they'll ever see is conquering dominion and authority Jesus and terrifying Jesus. But the moment you make the decision that Zacchaeus made, the moment you choose to invite him into your house, you can engage him as Zacchaeus did and Matthew and Peter and John. You have the privilege because those tongues that were taken to Isaiah that cleansed his lips, that same picture of God taking our iniquity away happened 2,000 years ago for those who will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So which Jesus is it? Well, Zacchaeus, I think he somehow in that moment, he held both. I'm ruined. Jesus, you're, you're it. And yet, I'm sitting here having a meal with you powerful it's a powerful thought so has Jesus entered your house have you have you climbed a tree enough to get a good picture of who he is if you haven't you can do that right now Lord Jesus I invite you somehow right now I have a picture of you you're not just moral guy teacher guy guru guy you know you're, you're the master of all things, creator of all things. And I trust you with my own salvation. I trust that what you did on the cross was enough. And the only response to that can be gratitude. We're going to close with this song, Gratitude. And I just want you to be contemplative. I want you to really think about this this morning. How grateful are you for Jesus? How grateful. Is there a corresponding abandonment of your old ways, of the things you cling to, a relationship that's gone south and you're unwilling to forgive? or Are you tight-fisted? Are you angry? Even if the other person done you wrong, are you still angry about it? Abandon that. Abandon ship. Walk with the creator of the universe. Because he will give you rest. And that is worth being grateful for.